Hello, this is the Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I have Frank Fitzpatrick here, who is an independent rancher and one of the most interesting people I've met in the last two years. We spent last Sunday with him, uh, you know, just to get a ranch tour because we buy his meat. And he was kind enough to invite us for lunch. And we spent all afternoon shooting the breeze and learning all about, uh, you know, his background and everything. So, uh, Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to have nice of you to have me. All right. Now, you're you asked if you could wear your hat. So I decided that I need an image upgrade. I'm going to wear my sunglasses. <laughs> what do you think about that? Is that OK with you? Whatever floats your boat. OK, very cool. So Frank has been a rancher for 40 years plus. Right, Frank? And yep. he has literally square miles of land which are devoted to uh grazing of these grass-fed cows uh which he he claims is are not a lot of effort to keep up but i uh, you know and they don't certainly don't need any veterinary care because they're out in the sun all day and eat whatever they want and do whatever they want uh but every time i talk to him he's busy with some some project he's working on his uh his rancher, he's out uh, driving around in his pickup truck or something. So I don't, I don't think it's quite as easy as he says. But, uh, but uh, anyway, Frank, tell us about. It. Go ahead. If you like it, or... you, you, if you like it, you're, you're enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your background and your history, and give us a little bit about your hero's journey. My hero's journey. Okay. Your hero's well, journey. You're seventy-two. Five. This just Sorry. clicked off. Okay. Well, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just turned 75. Uh, I've been in the cow business for 45 years, I guess now. Uh, I guess the whole thing started, I wanted to be a cowboy on my eighth birthday. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, I, my mom had a party for me over at my brother-in-law's place and, uh, they had a ranch and they had cows and horses and all this other good stuff. And uh, I was sitting at the table with my eight candles on the cake and announced to everybody I wanted to be a cowboy. And basically, I haven't changed my mind. I have said it a little bit, but uh, I'm a little kid, just wanted to cowboys and Indians, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell me how the whole thing progressed. I mean, this has well, been, I, how old were you when you first started ranching? Well, uh, 15, I think. <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school, uh, freshman in high school, and I took ag, and uh, I took septic tanks by hand before I started the high school. And uh, I earned enough money, and I bought a calf with it. And this calf was 65 bucks. I mean, this is not, this was a long, long time ago. But anyway, I got this calf, and I joined the FFA, raised the calf, and I sold the calf, and I made a little money, and got just completely turned on. Merle Tobler, the ag teacher, was probably one of the greatest men. Turns out, in hindsight, he didn't know a hell of a lot about cows, but he knew a great deal about life, and he taught it to me. And it was fun, and it was exciting. My senior year in high school, I had 25 steers, and 10 hogs and two sheep. And I never did like sheep, but uh, don't like hogs either better than sheep. But anyway, uh, after high school, I did steer projects for three years there. Uh, I sold everything and went to cow, to, uh, cow college, I guess you'd call it. Um, I took, I got a BS in animal science and a BS in business and uh, rodeoed a lot. I loved to rope and uh, college was just a blast. We had a good time. <laughs> where, where did you go to college and where did you grow up? Uh, in? San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo. Yeah, Cal Poly. Yeah, yeah, Cal Poly. And did you ever bull ride? One. You did one, yeah. That was about 12, but uh, 
one was enough for me. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty dangerous. I mean, I had a chance chance to do it, and I chickened out about five years ago. A friend of mine does. does You're too it. damn old to do that at that age. <laughs> way too old. Way too old. Your bones break. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even break colts anymore. I bought a horse here last year, and he was broke to ride when I got him. That's the first horse I bought that one in ever, I guess. So you so, you gradually acquired uh, some land or some backing, or how did it no. how did it all evolve? Well, I would uh, when I was going to college, I started working for ranches in the summertime, and I worked for about seven different ranches over the next four or five years, uh, mostly in Nevada and Eastern Oregon and Idaho. And uh, my second best mentor, uh, Newt Wright, uh, was living in Idaho. And we had a mutual friend that had some Barzona cows. And uh, we bought them. I'd made a little money in the real estate business. I bought seven cows. And we started out running cows in Idaho. And then uh, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm working for a living. I'd, I'd, sell, I'd sell a bull every once in a while. The main goal at that time of life was to sell range bulls. I had what I thought was the perfect animal to raise meat from conception to your plate on grass. And I had no idea at the time that grass-fed beef was good for you or that's good for the environment, whatever it was. But um, one of the projects I had in school was was a feed and feeding class, and we were balancing feedlot rations. And when I got done with this little exercise, uh, at the time, my calculations, it took 8.2 pounds of grain to make a pound of beef. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, well, okay, to grow that eight pounds of grain, you got to have a farming field, preferably with water. You got to plow it. You got to plant it. You got to weed it, fertilize it, wait for it to grow up, cover the crop, store it, crack it, roll it, steam it, or cook it, and then feed it back to a cow. That really didn't seem to me like the best reaction for your money. When you could buy a cow, turn the damn thing out on the crop that you grew and have meat it. Um, so in the back of my mind was the conception of this concept of conception to your plate on marginal feed. And at the time, the big thrust was that we're running cows on farm ground and to feed the world, we were going to have to do some to have beef, which is the people all the area where you can't get a tractor. And uh, after uh, quite a little bit, or it turns out that 70% of the agriculture in America is still growing corn to feed cows. They're still planting and cooking a roll steaming. <laughs> And feed it. This has got to be this absolutely ridiculous reaction when it takes more time. Okay, your your average grass fed animal that I've got is thirty months to three years old when I kill it to eat it. Okay, the average animal you're eating when you buy conventional meat in the store is twelve to fourteen months. The reaction is quicker by at least a year. Okay, but like everything else, when you the natural reactions, you lose something. <laughs> and what, what we didn't know at the time was you lost the fat. The uh, three mega fatty acids uh, that congregate in a cow are a sophisticated 20 carbon chain, three mega fatty acid that happens to be our brain needs to live. And if we have enough to run your brain, then they'll run coach your heart and pretty soon if you have enough you got you got enough three mega fatty acids to start using them for cell membranes in your body a, a cell that is 
coated with three mega fatty acids is 40 times less permeable than a cell that's, that's coated with corn oil. So if you want to get healthy real quick, just eat enough grass-fed beef to get the fat in you that you need. So let, let me let me just emphasize this for one second. What Frank just said is the central uh, tenet of the modern uh, dietary theory, and that is that the animal fats are less reactive and less inflammatory. They actually prevent heart disease and cancer and other inflammatory diseases. And you should avoid the corn oils and the synthetic oils, particularly uh, things like Crisco that have been so heavily promoted by the art by the uh, dietary associations in the United States uh, against our best interests. I mean, it, it's almost as if they did it on purpose. Uh, but what Frank is saying is that his product is even better than regular beef, which is much better than uh, seed oils, which are the thing that are primarily consumed. It's twenty five percent of our calories, or some crazy thing. So anyway, sorry to interrupt you, Frank, but go ahead. Uh, I forgot where I was, but basically the body runs on fat. If you eat a carbohydrate to get energy, you got to turn that carbohydrate into fat and then put the fat back in your bloodstream and burn it. So there's a cubic centimeter of carbohydrates and a cubic centimeter of fats, animal fats, is the animal fat is two and a half times more nutritious than the carbohydrate. And if you stop and pack carbohydrates on our body, we would be lumpy, bumpy, and about twice, 2.2 times bigger. So it's not like the whole system runs on fat. There is no chemical reaction in the human body that requires a carbohydrate, period. So I've only become aware of this recently. And so right now I'm buttering my steaks, eating a small amount of carbohydrate and trying to get probably 50% of my calories that come from, uh, you know, two thirds or three quarters or more come from fat plus uh, animal protein. And uh, the rest is, a, you know, carbohydrates that aren't sugar, hopefully. Yeah. Well, what's in price on the book? in the 1930s called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And he was a dentist. He got very well drilling keys and doing orthodontia for kids. But his idea was when he started out at the turn of the century, started his job was fixing broken jaws and pulling teeth repairing fist fight problems and all the other stuff required dentistry. But nobody had cavities. Nobody had narrow jaws. And uh, by the time he retired, he had, I thought, 14 dentists working for him doing this stuff in Chicago. And he got really wealthy doing it. But the question was, what happened in my lifetime that went from nobody having cavities to everybody having cavities? And he searched with all this money he made. He went on a world cruise for many, many years and searched all over the world. And the healthiest people that he ever found on Earth were the Inuit Indians living north of the Arctic Circle. And they had an 85% fat diet. Wow. I didn't realize. That's incredible. Okay. But the thing of it is, is you got to realize that if you eat a carbohydrate, it takes two molecules of water to digest the carbohydrate. If you eat a molecule of fat, it uh, it eliminates or produces molecules of water in the synthesis of fat. If you're an Inuit Indy, what is the most precious nutrient you've got? And it's basically water because it's all frozen. You have to do something to the ice to get it to where you can use, drink it and consume it. So water being the most precious commodity North of the Arctic Circle, these people ate fat. And he examined the teeth from multiple different indigenous tribes, and he thought that the uh, the fat consumption was the key variable. And yeah. he has photographs from I probably the 30s of all these different people and perfect teeth. And uh, 
since then everything's deteriorated. I mean, it, I yeah, it's about fifty dollars by share, <laughs> and and moving away from uh, moving away from that animal fat and pushing towards the vegetable fats has just been terrible. So well, no, the, the vegetable fats will kill you for another reason. I I never had association with the fact that they were bad for your teeth. So Frank um, read Weston Price's original book, and he told me about that when we met. Frank, tell uh, the audience about anything else you want to mention about uh, Weston Price or the book. Um, well, I'm not a fan of the Weston Price Foundation as such. Uh, they're both basically used car salesmen like everything else in the world, but the original knowledge created by Weston Price needs to be read, and everybody's going to extrapolate it into their own thoughts and ideas. I've done mine, and Sally Fallon has often done hers in another manner, but uh, I don't think taking sugar and turn it into uh, kombucha or any of these other fermented fruits is exactly a, a wonderful way of creating health. I mean, it's just like drinking alcohol. If you drink alcohol, you're just a sugar addict because the minute you think that eliminating the alcohol turns it into sugar, puts it in your bloodstream, and your brain uses most of it. So alcoholism and sugar addiction are the same thing. Um, I recommend people that 70% of your diet should be Meat and fat from ruminant. And 50-50 calories for those two, correct? What? 50-50 fat and 50-50 meat. And then, then well, you've you, got no. some. You can't get 50-50 fat and eat eaten, uh, grass fat. They don't get that fat. A USDA choice steer is 50% fat. Okay, a USDA prime steer is 60% fat. That's a 60% of the total weight of the hanging carcass is fat. Uh, a third of that, they completely throw away. Back to cows. It's actually a drug, the amount of it they got. The problem is it's all, it is mostly six omega fatty acids. There's very little CLA in it and then very little three omega acids because they were eating grain. So grass, stem, and leaf has linolenic acid. Okay. That's the green grass growing up. With cow eats that damn thing, tears it off, rolls it ball, and swallows it. Now, the only nutrients that a cow gets out of seeds, when grass is going to seed, are when they actually bite it. In other words, if two molars mash a seed, you crack it in the endosperm. Cow can use that for energy. Okay. Otherwise, this thing goes down in their stomach, prawn, which is the little weak part attaching the seed to the stem, is a weak link. Most of it falls off, goes into the omasum, and it's just like a septic tank. The heavy solids go regurgitate the cellulose back, rechew the cud. It's, it's the whole thing is absolutely fascinating. Why people spend their so much time, travel money, trying to prove on a perfect system is not even funny. You turn the damn things out. You don't give them any vaccines. You don't give them any hormones. If you got really deficient soil to start with, you can give feed them a little minerals. Just turn the damn things out. When the beef gets fat, kill and eat them. <laughs> Frank, describe that ruminant stomach and describe the ungulates and which uh, which uh, animals they are and uh, and why they're superior. Okay, well, then a, a, a cow has four stomachs. There's a rumen, an omasin, have an omasin reticulum. And basically, it's a really long, drawn-out system that uses fermentation to break down cellulose. Now, cow eating grass gets zero benefit from eating the grass. Okay, there's no nutrient in cellulose, leaf, and stem that you can put in your body any nutrient value of it at all. Nutrient value out of it at all. 
okay? The bacteria in the stomach break it down. They eat it. The bacteria turn it into sugar, fat, protein, and send it back to the system. It lives on bacteria waste. So when you're in the cow business, you're not actually raising cows. The main job is to grow bacteria, mycorrhiza, fungi, and other nutrients to heal the soil. The more you put back into the soil, the more you get back out of the beef. So the land that you use is not used for anything else. You, the the oh. cow is great. great. What, what's that? No. And, just, yeah. I tell you, the thing I was surprised at was how it, the fact that these cows were not very densely populating the land I saw. I mean, how many? We saw a couple dozen and I saw many, many, many acres. I mean, we could, within eye, eye shot, there was probably, you know, 100 acres or something, and or maybe more. Well, more like 800, but um, 800. they had animals on them. Yeah. Were they hiding somewhere else? <laughs> or maybe is that the density? We saw, that you... we saw what? We saw most of them. Yeah. that's you. They're just not very dense. And now Frank has other land up north. Are they more dense up there? I mean, it just seems oh. it's just they just run around uh, and do whatever the they want. density has to do with there's when it rains, we have moisture making bacteria. We holistically plant graze that ground. In other words, we put animals on a very small space and move them around so that the plant is the grass plant is actually getting to regrow without being bit a second time by the cow until it's high enough in the sigmoid curve that you're creating, you're producing an abundance of grass from synthesis. Yeah, I didn't see it. You know, I went to visit Polyphase Farms and it was clear that's what they were doing is they had movable pasture fences, but I didn't see any fences on your property. How do you do it? Well, yeah, with electric fences, we just don't do it when it's dry like that. Oh, I see. I do it because, uh, okay, when I've got water, when it rains, i got stock tanks. I've got, I can put 17 to 20 pastures together on that ranch pretty the pastures. As soon as the water is up, I can't do that anymore. When the day you were there, I got two sources of water on the ranch. Well, three, two good ones in one spring that'll actually water about twenty cows. But um, it's water limited. Okay, so the, the weak link is every two or three days I got to drink. All right, so if you can't get them there, I just turn them out and I start moving them with my supplements. One one of the most interesting things Frank told me was that uh, just up uh, east of where he was, there was an area that got 60 inches of water. And this is California where, I mean, L.A. area probably averages 12 inches of water a year. So this has just been a phenomenal season. And so I guess that's enabled you to do a little better with your uh, ranching operation. Is that correct? Uh, yes and no. It was really good in the beginning. We grew a lot of grass. We we. Uh, 70% of what we sold we got out of we got out by May and June. And then the grass dried up and we got a three inch storm uh just about the first of August. And that just wiped out my feed. Three inches of rain on dry feed just turns it into popcorn. So Frank was feeding pumpkins and uh, and and peppers to these darn cows and you know we saw some residual pumpkins that weren't squished but apparently he has to run them over with a truck in order to get them to the condition that the cows can eat so i mean he had like a truck truckloads of these things and he'd get out there and run over some pumpkins every day and the cows would chow down and then a few days later he'd do it again so i guess there are options besides the the natural feed for these things and those are just sort of waste pumpkins because there was a big pumpkin season right they were right. you obtain them very inexpensively 
Well, normally we get anywhere from twenty to sixty thousand pounds, but that's that's a drop in the bucket thing. I just do because I like the guy. But uh, normally I get about a million pounds of cold bell peppers every year. <laughs> How many truckloads is that? Shit, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just haul them till they're done. That's the job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I got more than they'll eat, I haul them anyway. Because if I don't haul them, I don't get them. They want them gone. So tell why other grass-fed beef is inferior to yours, and also tell why the feedlot beef is inferior i mean tell tell what the effects of the vaccines are i mean these these freaking government agencies are pushing you to stick messed your rna vaccines in in the in the cows and i mean i don't know whether they can whether we get some of this stuff when we eat them or whether our our gi tract uh, protects us that's the burning question that everybody seems to have but uh Go, go into that mess a little bit. I mean, it's Frank seems to have the best farm in California for this beef. And as long as you don't mind beef, it's a little tougher. I mean, the, the prices aren't bad at all. And he can, he'll tell us at the end of the podcast how you can sample it or get some uh, shipped. And he distributes to three different states. But I want to hear what your perception is of how your beef differs from the rest. God, that, um, where in the hell do you start? Um, <laughs> the average feedlot cow going into the going into feedlots got 22 to 28 vaccines in them to start with. Okay. And then they use, because grain is not a natural diet to a cow, um, you've got these animals in a constant state of sepsis. Okay. They're inflamed all the time. Um, the only function they have in life is eating. They're standing in their own shit. And uh, they're producing a, a product that's 50% fat, at the least, coming out of these things. But the fat that's in them is mostly 6-omega fatty acids, and those are inflammatory. Now, there's no such thing as good fat and bad fat. Okay, six omega fatty acids are as essential to you as three omega fatty acids. It's the ratio that's important. Okay, if you've got 26 omega fatty acids in your diet and one three, okay, you're inflammatory by definition. You don't have enough three omega fatty acids, which are anti inflammatory to put the fires out when you start. And that includes everything from divorce and death in the family to cutting your arm off, okay? Those are all inflammations that your body reacts to. Or cancer or heart disease. All of it, yeah. It's all, your body goes into mode of fixing whatever the problem is. And the problem is put six omega fatty acids in there, start a fire, track nutrients, and heal it. Now, when you're done healing it, you got some three mega fatty acids running around your bloodstream to go in there and put the fire out, spread the cold ashes out, make sure they're all dead, and then go on with life. So, can you go into what linoleic acid is? Is that's an that's a vegetable product generally, and that's also inflammatory, and that's what we've been reading about lately. Well, linoleic or linoleic? Linoleic. Isn't that the three omega fatty acid? Well, you know, I'm not sure, but we don't have to go into this if we're, neither one of us is completely certain. Um, we, but anyway, that's I what we're I'm trying to avoid. Certain, but... <laughs> no, that's okay. So tell us about the vaccines and how they might transmit to humans. Is there any evidence of that? Because that's everybody's fear. Is they're going to get the darn? I don't vac know the vaccines. answer to that. Yeah, there may not I be an answer. They put. They put things in them you don't want in your body. Yeah. Okay. They got aluminum in them. They got mercury in them. They got antibiotics. Damn thing. Um, and basically, um, they don't do a very good job anyway. 
Okay, I mean, uh, black leg is the is the disease that my cows get that affect me if I don't vaccinate. So if I don't give a black leg shot and I'm in a black leg infested country with horned cows, um, you, I lose cattle to that. And I think I've lost about 24 in 44 years of running these cows. And uh, if you stop back up and looked at what it took to administer all the vaccines plus buying them, yada, 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 I think I'm ahead not vaccinating. Just on a dollar money and labor in product out. What is black leg? It's clustered in malignant edema. Uh, it's a serious disease that uh, the first sign, the first symptom is death. So when you see them, <laughs> they're dead. So Frank was telling me that when the cows are allowed to do their cow thing, they don't need veterinarians, which it kind of makes sense, but you've hardly any vet expenses at all in your whole operation, do, do you? No, we spend more on the dogs and cats than we do on the cows. <laughs> um, that's because I live with a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But anyway, long story short, um, you got to start from the, go back to the beginning. All right. The first thing you need to start out an environmentally friendly cattle business is start with the right cows. Okay. We've, we've spent the last 120 years with these Angus cattle, breeding them to do extremely well in the feedlot. And the rules of genetic state that you can have anything, you can get anything you ask for if you select for it hard enough. The problem is you better damn sure want what you ask for because you're going to get it. And that's what we've got. We've got a black cow that's black skinned. She can't dissipate heat well. They don't do well in the sun. They gain a great deal of weight on grain in a feedlot with shade and water. It's extremely expensive to get that animal to the feedlot stage because she's not adapted to her environment. People spend billions of dollars on vaccines and tools and equipment and everything else. To, I mean, I know guys that got little carts that go on their four-wheelers to catch their animals so they can doctor them. If I see an animal that, if one of my animals gets sick, normally they're dead. I mean, I've been in the cattle business 44 years and have seen about three calves being born. They run off and do it, don't they? Yeah. But you've got to have an animal that's environmentally adaptable. I got red cows with horns, with sloping croups. These are all essential things that nobody realizes till you think about it. If you take the pelvis of an Angus cow, but she's really flat-backed, you got a pelvis opening that's like this. If you put a 20-degree tilt on that pelvis, you got a you got a space that a calf can fall out of easily. Now I'm not going to tell you that I haven't lost animals to birthing problems, but I am going to tell you that I don't know about it. That's amazing. Well, Frank, right. tell me, explain to the listeners the genetics. Frank has what he calls a closed herd. In yeah. other words, they were all they were all bred off a few darn cows, and yeah. he described the process to me as harvesting the steers, not steers, the harvesting the bulls, yeah. because he doesn't castrate any of them. And he harvests the bulls. And as long as those darn cows are dropping a calf every year, he doesn't, they, they get to enjoy their lives and run around the grass and chow down and do whatever they do with the bulls. But tell about the closed genetics, because that seems like to the naive observer to be a a problem because you yeah. get inbreeding and you get yeah. undesirable characteristics. Well, the fear of genetics is about the same as the fear of vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly good hype. Okay. Um, the entire bull industry, boar industry, every industry that's raising animals has got a segment that raises males to breed the rest of them. And they're supposed to be better and faster, cheaper. And all that. That's all horseshit, but that's the way, that's the way the package is sold. Okay. You can't, 
inbreed because there's lethal genetic inheritable traits that will kill your cows. And that is absolutely true. The problem is, is the other side of the coin is by, there's only two ways you can commingle genes to increase the heritability of a, of a selection function. Okay. One is heterosis and the other is homozygosity. You can either bring two like animals together and breed them, which will increase your gene frequency for the things you're trying to, to accomplish. Or you can outcross, which is what the entire cow herd America does. They're trying to create hybrid vigor, and hybrid vigor works the first time. You take a black cow, put it on earth, bull, and you get a 15% increase in calf the first year. Now, what do you do with that calf? Every time, in other words, the only way you can do <clears throat> heterosis is by having a closed herd of cows that are always bred to a bull. All the offspring die. You replace your cow herd. <clears throat> anyway, most people just buy bulls and the things go downhill and they go, well, let's get another bull. So they very, so pretty soon you got a cow herd that's eyes 57 varieties. You haven't done anything to increase the hybrid vigor. As a matter of fact, most of the time you've lost it completely. And um, it's, it's expensive to boot. Now, if you're willing to absolutely kill an entire female line of cows out of your herd, you can get more cluck for your buck raising your own damn bull and breeding them to well, we got to talk about the traits, all right? Every, everybody in the cow business has got a program. Some got a seven-point program. Some got a nine. Some of them got a eight. And there's all these different breeding programs that you can subscribe to. I subscribe to the two method. I want a live calf that weighs a lot. I can only sell beef if you have a live animal and it weighs, okay? So fertility and growth are the only two things I select for. Cow's got to have a calf every year, period. If you don't have a calf, I turn her into beef and I sell it to you. <laughs> so the one of the... Of, go ahead, sorry. The other side of the coin is you, you, you select your bulls for growth. Okay, you put all your bulls in a corral every year and you go through and weigh them and you pick out what's having one, two, three, four extra herd bulls for the year. Whatever you need, you pick out the biggest masculine bulls you can find now steers grow faster than bulls do so you have to be really careful about because your high gain bull is always a steer and he looks Fruits like are castrated bulls yeah but he, yeah this is he's not pumping enough he's not pumping enough testosterone right okay well that has growth inhibiting characteristics about it all the way down the line but anyway, uh, so I select the bulls for uh, growth and the cows for fertility, and that's the breeding program. 44 years later, I've killed 14 cows for genetic problems, uh, but I have a really slick, I have a really nice herd of cows. That you've been working on for 44 years. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. How many head do you have total? Somewhere between six and seven hundred head. I got a big place, and I I've got a couple hundred cattle I probably haven't seen in two years. And and you and these things, a third of them get turned over every year. Is that roughly it, or a quarter? Well, we usually do one hundred and twenty to one hundred sixty head a year. How many years will these things uh, drop calves once a year? Um, I got a lot of 21-year-old cows. That's amazing. Well, that's twice plus one year the national average. And the way you described it, the bulls sort of selected themselves for who got to do all the, the breeding, so to speak. It, there was the never, alpha, the alpha, four, alpha guys I get it. Four herd bulls that probably breed about 85% of my cow herd. 
It's okay. a big job, Frank. Yes. For four <laughs> herd bulls breed, breed 600 cows? No, a, I got about six or 700 animals. I only got about 240 or 50 at a cow. Oh, I see, yeah. This is a cycle, a three-year cycle. So I've got cows and calves. I got yearlings. I got two-year-olds, and then I got animals that I sell. This is the tail wags the dog kind of a thing. He was explaining to me how the the whole thing revolves on productive cows, and if you can, if you can, if you can save the the good ones, um, you end up with a herd. If you can't, why you don't? So. I missed that one completely. Well, you know, I was trying to conceptualize how you did it and what what you seem to be. You know, you told me that you started out from a few cows and you save all the cows that are breeding and productive and and drop in calves. And eventually you have a big herd. Yeah. And one for droughts and. <laughs> yeah. Depressions and plagues and other things. I'd have a whole lot of cows. Well, it's a, it's a it's a it's a wild thing to think about the life you you lead, and you know we did go into the barn to feed the horses, or we went into the hay pile or the hay storage place, but the rest of it is all pretty oh, much. The horse yeah, the horse need alfalfa, don't they? Yep. Well, that's what they get here. That I feed them green grass four or five months out of the year. I run them with the bulls, but. So how long has it been since you've been on a horse? God, about six weeks. Oh, okay. Well, I thought it was six years. So you do ride horses. I, we know we hung out in your pickup six truck. Well, I branded calves for the neighbors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Well, the, Frank's beef is, what is it, five-bar beef? Is that it? Exactly. F I. It's five like the number, B A R. Beef, B-E-F, yeah, yeah, and dot com. And he's got all the information there about how to buy it. And we, we've just been chowing down on it. I think it's wonderful. I My wife does use a pressure cooker because we don't get absolutely the best cuts because they're more expensive. And I've been super happy with the hamburger. The amazing thing about your wife's cooking was she did the same thing that McDonald's did before 1965. She put french fries in beef tallow and apparently you don't sell that unfortunately we may have to come over and beg some or something uh because that that stuff is uh it's fabulous and those french fries they're guilt-free you know they were potatoes and animal fat weren't they skin on them skin on the potatoes too and so so we we went home with enough to eat to the, the next day too um, but I, I was very happy with the hamburgers and they just taste distinctly more interesting and, uh, meaty than, uh, you know, the other hamburgers you buy in the store, which are fatty. Like huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It tastes like real beef. You and know, what I, gets me is, uh, I have been known to eat a hamburger in town once in a while. <laughs> and the problem with eating meat in town is I always get a metallic aftertaste to it. Weird. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's not beefy. Might be the mercury. <laughs> Who knows? The rumor, the rumors start here, right? Uh, but uh only what I what happens to me. It is there's an aftertaste to store-bought beef that I don't like. Lisa won't eat it. Well, if you don't have to eat it, you should never eat it. Yeah, but I mean I, I went to a big fancy dinner the night before last and they had uh, prime rib and I ate a big bunch of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to resist. Um, so, uh, so you can or you can't sell tallow? Can't. No, can't. Because no. that is a it's manufactured product. Manufactured product, and you're selling, and you sell the whole darn half a cow. And then you contract separately for the butcher who you arrange all that, but that's the way. That's the way you can do it and chop it up and sell it to your yeah, customers. The bulk of my business is selling holes and halves. I'm, I'm trying to build a business where people, well, I'm, I've got people now, they see carnival people, some are wearing two head a year, uh, which is getting, I mean, I'm 25 head of cattle behind in sales right now. I've got three head here that are not sold. 
and probably 10 or 14 on the ranch that I could probably get. So I'm pretty well out of the whole and half business for the year. I mean, you can still go to the website and buy one, but it's it'll be gone in a month or six weeks at the most. Um, I have, I, I butchered about 20 head this year and had them processed at a USDA plant. And I got about 8,000 pounds of meat out of that, which I'm selling and you can buy online at fivebarbeef.com. Just go to the ranch shop and we'll hook you up. The hamburger is far cheaper, which I was very happy with that. Frank, how many like fillets, there's only a, in a half a cow, how many pounds of really the high, the highest, uh, most desirable cuts are there? Well, there's about a, a fillet weighs about eight pounds on a cow. And it's the only muscle on, on a cow. I think besides the liver that there's only one of. So it's, it, your psoas muscle is your fillet. And in a human being, it's the toughest muscle that you use because it's keeping you standing upright. A cow that's on her back, the muscle doesn't get used. It's the tenderest piece of meat on the cow. It's got less flavonoids. It's less flavorful. I don't think it's as nutritious. Uh, for 30 years before I started selling meat, uh, I always ground it. I like flat irons, ribeyes, and New York's. And um, there's about 20% steaks on the cow, about 30% roast, and the other half is ground beef and towel. How big a freezer do you need to buy about half a cow? 14 cubic foot. 14 cubic foot, and that's a standard freezer? No, yeah, I. that's a standard size. Standard size. Yeah, you can put 420 pounds of meat in boxes in a 14 cubic foot freezer. Uh, but there ain't a woman alive that wants a freezer that's just beef. <laughs> you got to give them 100 pounds of room for fish and chicken and bird's eye frozen vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so, of all the frozen veggie people, I like bird's eye the best. Yeah, I don't know. I eat whatever my wife puts in front of me. Well, bird's eye uh, was the guy that invented flash freezing. He was in a he was in an Arctic storm. And uh, the water he was walking through froze. And the ice crystals were about 10% of the size of the ones that froze around him. And for some reason, he noticed this. And he went back home and decided, okay, if these ice crystals are smaller, why can't I freeze vegetables at 30 below zero and not break the cell range in the meat or the vegetable and package the cell frozen? He's the guy that invented flash freezing is a joke. Wow. So it what doesn't make any difference. Cold freezing. When 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 the temperature, when whatever you're freezing, the pea, the piece of corn, whatever it is, when it hits the cold temperature, if it's 30 below, it freezes in a very small crystal. It doesn't break the cell membranes, and everybody's happy with it. If you freeze the damn thing at 28, to zero, you get big crystals and you get end up getting mush. But it's not flash, okay? If you put 1,600 pounds of meat in a 30 below freezer, it takes three days to freeze it. Wow. Okay. But it's 30 below zero when you take it back out. So, Frank, do you, does your wife use pressure cookers? Is that? Yeah. Yes. Suve machines, pressure cookers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Instapot. Those just cook the darn thing for eight hours or something, six to eight hours or something, maybe even overnight, right? Um, Suve machine. Yeah. Oh, we we took we take uh, rump roast and put it in there for two and a half days. Oh my gosh! We're and that's a low temperature, relatively low temperature. It's 130 not degrees. One hundred thirty degrees, isn't that something? You're breaking down the connective tissue. Yeah, boy, those are really sweet. To, oh yeah. Yeah, I've eaten that stuff. Um, S O U V E is that it? Yeah, I think. And you get a, you bought them online or something, probably. Yeah, they're cheap, hundred bucks. Yeah. Plug well, them in. Well, I mean, you got to have a pot, but nice. But well, it's like a, a outboard motor 
you take this thing, you screw it on the side. It's got a little fan that pushes the water, water around and uh, the heating element on top and it heats it to a specific temperature. And uh, so they, it was, it was invented to break down human connective tissue uh, for pharmaceutical research. Gosh. Some Frenchman did it, called it Suve, and turns out it's the way to eat beef. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, we And we've used a pressure cooker. Are there disadvantages of it subjecting the beef to such high temperatures as a pressure cooker can or not? Yeah. Okay. So you're better off with a Suve machine. Yeah, the more... The, all of the dark brown meat that you ever ate in your whole life was devoid of B12. Okay, the only meat that you ever ate that had B12 intact molecules in it was the red part. Really? So that's why you eat it medium rare? No, you eat it rare. Rare. <laughs> rare is bloody and cold in the middle. That's too much well, for me. Well, it's not bloody, but it's got myoglobin in it, but which is a constituent of blood, I guess, but uh, <laughs> it's also really tasty. Them juicy steaks are just plain ass good. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've got your, my wife has some of your hamburgers cooked and I think I'm going to, when we sign off, I'm going to go in the other room uh, and, and chow down on a few and microwave them. So what, don't microwave them. Why not? Oh God. Okay. I told just told you a minute ago the brown part of the meat doesn't have any B12 in it. Right. Okay. If you put any kind of meat in a microwave, so the IRAs hit the outside of something, and they're turning it brown. It cooks it from the outside in. Microwaves cook everything from the inside out. 15 seconds in a microwave, and you cut 85% of the carboxyl groups off of every vitamin B molecule in a piece of steak. Take your microwave and throw it away. <laughs> well, it certainly is a like a radiant EMF uh, thing, and you got to stay away from it too. That's another problem. Well, it well does. Go ahead. I mean, everybody told me for years, don't eat microwave food, and I didn't. I don't. We don't own a microwave, and uh, but I never could get anybody to explain why, and. I'm, you know, one of them old school people. You got to just, you got to get down to the science with me. You got to prove it. Okay. And Grady Knight did it. And he, uh, and it was absolutely nonchalant. I mean, I've, I've been asking thousands of smart people for years why you don't microwave meat. And he says, it's real simple. The infrared molecular waves that go through the meat cut the carboxyl groups off the B12. You absolutely cannot microwave meat ever. So I'm, I'm not sure you can't do it with water. You know, that's a mechanistic argument, and it only concerns one vitamin, which you can obtain elsewhere. Uh, but, bullshit. Well, I mean, any, uh, I mean, I guess it's all uh, beef products, and there's oral source of B12 that you can take uh, as supplements if you want. Well, if you I, just I, learn to cook, you don't have to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's probably not the only If it does that to the B12 that he knew about, there might be other things wrong with it that are yeah. not good either. There might be, yeah. Well, it's, there's people that are doing tests now on water, and uh, the with the Brownian movement of water changes after you've microwaved it, and they don't know whether it's good for you or bad for you, but it changes. Right. I, yeah, I understand. Um, I view arguments like that, conceptual arguments or mechanistic arguments as uncertain, you know, and questionable. So that, you know, I mean, it's interesting and it certainly yeah. makes sense that a microwave might not be the most natural thing for your food. But I mean, unless there's more analysis with evidence, it's hard for me to swallow or, you know, you oh, get a night up. He'll tell you all about it. Okay. Well, He's that'd be great. That's, so that's the smartest chemist I ever knew. 
Frank, what else is on your list to talk about today? Is there anything you want to bring up that we haven't covered? Um, yeah, a few. Um, okay, I sell what I call natural beef. Uh, it's not even close to what's labeled natural beef. Um, in Southern California, about 80% of the grass-fed beef that comes into the L.A. Basin isn't even grass-fed. Uh, there's a feedlot in Bakersfield that feeds carrots. They're not the only people on the planet that feed carrots, but the USDA has decided that a natural carrots are natural products, so you can get certified natural beef from feeding carrots to cows in a feedlot. So most of the grass-fed beef salesmen buy this shit and repackage it, put their label on, call it grass-fed, because the fat's yellow. Okay, you've been eating, if you've been feeding a cow carrots, you get orange and yellow fat out of them like you would out of a really good grass-fed animal. That's number one. Number two, um, the intactness of the animal has, in my opinion, nutrient value. If you cut a steer, not to castrate him, take up his testicles, you lose 70% of the production of testosterone in his body for the rest of his life. Okay, now, we get zinbiotics from walking around on petrochemical carpeted floors. Uh, we eat a lot of soybeans that and that are pumping estrogen into our system, and we're eating steer beef. And testosterone, not testosterone, sperm count from 1940 to 2019 has dropped 40% in American males. And uh, I think a lot of it is the fact that we're not eating natural foods that are really natural, intact animals that are have been fed an exclusive natural diet to get the natural ingredients out of it. Now, pigs have another set. Chickens have another set. The big denunciation for the beef is the three mega fatty acids. Because my opinion, that's what we evolved on, was eating antelopes 3.5 million years ago. And I think it's the ability to synthesize the three mega fatty acids that gave us the big brain, and it's not our opposing thumb. Um, I guess I'll just draw this uh, one last point, and that is that you're much better off with beef or um or yeah. sheep or bison yeah. or other ungulates right which would be um some of the game animals uh yeah. with the multiple stomachs who are herbivores yeah. um even if they are feedlot raised you're better off with those than you are with the vegetable diet or you know oh, all yeah. the crazy since synthetics and and packaged food that uh that are, you know that are 80 or 90 percent of the standard grocery store so so <laughs> you, i'm sure your stuff's better it's hard to characterize exactly how and why and the b12 argument is uh convincing but there's got to be more to it and uh you, there you is. Know, the, yeah. the problem is we just don't know yet yeah yeah I mean, we're still working on 74 minerals, 14 vitamins, three fatty acids, and 22 protein molecules. And we got no idea. I mean, if you keep breaking the atom down, you get subatomical particles. We're now getting the subatomical particles of the subatomical particles. In other words, God knows how deep this goes and how changing one thing in the food chain to make it faster, cheaper, and better is upsetting the cars at the other end. I mean, who knows that sugar and flour was going to turn us all into a bunch of wimps? Well, there's a lot of other factors. Well, Frank, uh, any last words before we sign off? Again, it's five bar, five the numeral, B-A-R-B-E-F.com. And uh, which states you ship to Nevada, California? California, and Nevada, Arizona, Oregon. 
Oregon. Very cool. And uh, the shipping costs are 30 bucks for a uh, $35 for a my rates last week. standard box. Yeah. yeah. 12 by 12 by 12. And, it costs 38 bucks to get it to you. So yeah. Yeah. And the hamburgers, the hamburger is cheaper, which I, I'm sticking for the, with the hamburger. I think my wife got some other stuff, but so we'll try it out. Right. I, I'm grateful for your time. Any other last words? Nope. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Most of them are not from California or this area, but uh, but I'm sure you'll get some orders. Thanks again, Frank. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye now.